Welcome to the Maze Marketing Podcast. This isn't another podcast about marketing tricks or hacks, but about building effective marketing systems, beating marketing overwhelm, and communicating your expertise. With your hosts, Rob Drummond and Jonathan Wilson. So this week on the Maze Marketing Podcast, we are talking about landing pages. So a landing page historically has been a page on your website that people arrive at after they click on one of your ads. It's really it's really where the rubber hits the road in terms of is your ad spend going to be effective. Uh, what has changed in recent years is you can increasingly run ads on things like LinkedIn and Facebook without even sending people to a landing page. We've also seen a big increase in the number of landing page builders things like lead pages for example have really shaken up the market so i i wanted to know in jonathan's work what does he use what does he recommend and that's what we're talking about in this conversation let's do the next one i'd like to talk about landing pages tell me about landing pages rob tell me about ugly landing pages rob (laughs) okay so, so so just to just to frame the conversation for this so running Google ads for clients, um, I would often take over the accounts and there would be some existing ads that linked to some crummy landing page on an existing website that was basically horrible and it would have all sorts of things that there are you know wrong with it, like absent headline, no social proof, hard to use form, whatever. And there have been cases where I have then set up what I would consider to be a quote unquote good landing page often using you know one of the landing page builder tools so yeah, lead pages, you know, lead pages like click funnels drive architect that sort of thing yeah. and there have been cases where it just hasn't converted as well as the original crummy one that the client's been using mm-hmm. and i've been i've been scratching my head about this i'm not often in those situations it's often more traditional businesses i guess and I, I kind of suspect that when people click on the ad, they, they almost, you know, if you click on a plumber's ad, it's almost like you expect to wind up on a crummy landing page. It's it's, it's either something sort of vaguely reassuring about that because they, yes. because they know about plumbing, not about marketing. So, yeah. and I, so there have just been some circumstances where it's frustrated me a lot, but... I've ended up kind of tweaking and using the original landing pages on the client's main website without using any of these fancy builders. And it's just kind of worked better. And I wanted to get your thoughts on all of that. So uh, unlike you, I have not done like for a single client explicit testing of an ugly page and a pretty page, so to speak. Uh, But I have used for quite a number of clients um, what we actually call, we all laugh about it, but we actually call it the ugly landing page. <laughs> uh, and and it, it does, I mean, to a certain extent, it looks like it came from, you know, the late 90s or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. early 2000s. Uh, very simple, you know, not a lot of graphics, not a, not a lot of pretty colors, the styling. Uh, and I've seen phenomenally good uh, conversion rates. So, the, you know, the amount of people that come to the page and actually call or fill out the contact form have seen fabulously good rates. Um, on some of the the most horrible looking pages, so, and I've seen uh, 
again, I have not like done an absolute A to B pretty and ugly on one client, but I've set up nice pages, nice funnels for a lot of clients too, or seen what they had. And, and certainly a nice looking page that follows all the classic um, design and format principles certainly does not always work. So it's seen plenty of losing funnels that looked perfectly beautiful. I think what I'm sort of getting at is there's, there's this kind of idea kind of perpetuated by lead pages, click funnels, like a lot of these tools, mm-hmm. that there is a single best, correct, optimal landing page format. And there's a lot of conversations online about what is the quote unquote best landing page format. Um, and just in terms of like my experience, I'm, I'm, I'm there kind of scratching my head, just like, like, the longer I do this, the less confident I am in terms of what, what even is the right format anyway. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you, you mentioned Thrive Architect, the guy that uh, makes that his name is uh, Shane, I think. He's actually got, uh, so he's mentioned before that one of their most commonly asked questions is like, you know, which, which one should I start with? Which, which page converts the best? And he's got, I don't remember, I don't have it all memorized, but he's got a pretty compelling article on why that is an almost useless question. Yes. Every, every business, every industry is different, and uh, there really is no universal, you know, oh, start with this one because it works best most of the time. That that idea just pretty much doesn't even exist in the real world. Yeah. I really like Thrive Arch- I mean, I guess the benefit of a lot of these tools is that they make um, A-B split testing a lot easier. Yes. Than yeah. it, you know, if, you, if you're just using, like, a WordPress page, for example, on a website, then, you know, you could use Google Analytics or something to create a version of it and do a split test. Whereas in Thrive Architect, which is the landing page builder that I use the most, uh, it's, it's, it's really easy. Like you just say, I want to create a new, a new variation of this page. And, you know, it's drag and drop. So you just move the parts that you want without being, I mean, I, I actually do know HTML and CSS, but the, the important thing is that you don't need to. That's that's, yeah. quite, that's quite empowering. And then they and then they split the traffic uh, by default fifty fifty, but you can change the the what's the word I'm looking for the the split um, uh, yeah. ratio um, percentage. Yeah, and I think that's quite a compelling reason. Like, I I would never approach any pay per click project without having access to at least one landing page builder. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because it gives you so much more flexibility, and it's like, well, okay, so if if you've got this mysterious, ugly landing page that happens to be converting really well, then then that's nice. But then you're still going to want more flexibility than that, at least in testing other pages. Yeah. Um, another question I wanted to ask you was, do you ever create specific landing pages for warmer remarketing traffic? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. So let's talk about what remarketing does. Um, obviously, there is a million ways to do this, but if you're going to the, the general idea, and I'll even back away from the maze nurturing principle for a moment. The general idea is if you've got a sales process at all, <clears throat> excuse me, and you've got a funnel, uh, what you want your remarketing to do is always be pushing people to the next thing. That actually applies to the nurturing part, too. If you've got a 10-part a, a storytelling sequence, you want to push them to the next page, the next chapter in the story, so to speak. So uh, with that in mind, um, 
every remarketing ad is should be headed to a specific destination and 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 there's some sequence to that right if you're telling a story you've got you know a 10 piece story that's 10 pages 10 destinations um if you're doing the the sales component um you you want to be able to send people to different offers and if you have a funnel uh you know maybe your funnel is like squeeze page webinar email sequence uh you want your ads to be driving people into those next steps all, all along the way each one of those different things um so so yeah then obviously if you're using google search um you want your landing page within reason there's certainly an 80 20 to this but you want your landing page to uh you know be addressing whatever it was they searched for that's it's not so uh so necessary in, in other contexts um, although i say that uh and yet picture that you've got a bunch of facebook ads right so whatever story you started in the facebook ad you need to be able to continue that story on the landing page. So, so the reason that I um, asked the question was because I kind of see people generally being a bit lazy with this. So it's like if you're running Google search, you might send people to a page, which probably makes them an offer based on what they search for. Yes. Then you're then running remarketing ads to them. And most, the most common thing seems to be to drive them back to the same page. Okay, and I get that. Yep. So, and I think that possible, well, certainly it could be the people are lazy. Uh, possibly it's also, it's fairly well known that an abandoned cart strategy is, is like one of the winners for remarketing. Um, and if your cart page is well done and it, it's already at the end of the funnel. So, you know, people have been through your funnel and then got to the cart page. And then at the last minute, they're like, nah, I don't think so. Um, this is where, you might run a few different ads where the ad is changing the angle, maybe customer testimonial, maybe a review, maybe a little background, and then still send them back to the cart page. But the presumption there is that this person is already engaged. They've already seen your content. They already know what you've got to offer and they just need a reminder yeah. that can work. But in other contexts, uh, first click, you know, they've, they've only ever seen one thing from you. I mean, think about it. Just picture for yourself that you went shopping for whatever, and whatever, literally anything, you know, car parts, uh, new clothes, shoes, food, <laughs> uh, entertainment, and then picture that you saw a, a page that was, for whatever reason, it, it didn't do the trick for you. You know, you lost interest on that page. And then you saw an ad that drove you straight back to the page. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do when you see the third ad? Like, no way. You're not going to click on that the third time, right? It's, it's, it's like if you went into a, a shop in a department store or on a high street or something, and you decided not to buy the fur coat. And then you yeah. walk out and there's a person handing you a flyer for the fur coat. Okay. You know, yeah. I didn't want that. And you walk on for like three minutes and there's another person handing out a flyer for a fur coat. And it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And then try to think of it from the other way. So I, I, I don't have the perfect scenario in mind, but pretend that you're, you know, I don't know, pretend you're a, a, a young person starting your career and one of your goals is to get a good job, get a good wage, and then get a good house or get a, a BMW or whatever it is that you're after. If you're into, I don't know much about cars. I'm, I'm, I'm a family guy. <laughs> I just have a simple car. I was going to say, I think those are still my goals. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, let, let, let's say you're really in, I'm just going to use BMW for the fun of it. Let's say you're really into that. Uh, there's a reason you're into that. You love how smooth it is, how fast it is, how cool it looks, the features it comes with. And if you're into something, there's 
nothing, you know, like in other words, it's your favorite topic or favorite goal, desire, whatever. There's nothing you love better than to just soak up all the lovely things about that car, right? And so if BMW was going to throw a lot of ads in your face for 20 years until you have enough money to finally buy that thing, uh, it, it would be totally pointless for them to keep beating on like just one feature, like just the color or just the engine or just, you know, whatever. Instead, they're going to go round and round and constantly paint a new angle to the delicious, uh, you know, picture you've got in your mind of why you want a BMW. They're going to tell you a story. They're going to describe how it was made or did you know it was made in Italy and they screw the XYZs together by hand, you know, whatever. They're, they're always going to be pushing that. And so, or, or, you know, I don't know, take another example. Maybe you're, if you're into baseball, you don't, you don't want to repeatedly hear just the cut and dried facts of how baseball works. You want to know who's, who's playing now and, you know, who, who won the game and who the next up and coming person is and what they did and what they said. And, you know, Keep the smorgasbord going, in other words. Yep. And, and I think if you imagine, I think if anybody imagines something they like, they want, that they're into, and you just try to imagine, like, what else would I like to know about this? That would paint a better picture for how our remarketing story sequence should go, mm -hmm. including the pages. Mm -hmm. Good. Um Any sort of, like, general tips for people? I mean, you know, if we sort of make some sweeping i mean so I, I guess what we're saying is that context is really important both in terms of like where the visitors come from um what you've already sent them where they are in the remarketing journey um but you know it, it, ignoring all of the context specific stuff i mean what what tips could we kind of give people for the page itself yeah yeah well uh and that is a little hard to answer so especially in the context of the maze, you you want to purposely mix it up. So like, let, let's say that your goal is lead generation. Uh, do not just repeatedly send them to a, a long form sales letter or repeatedly send them to a contact form or whatever, right? Uh, you're going to have to interject um, some content, maybe a video, maybe a story, maybe a blog post. And, and then at sooner or later, you will send them back to the, the sales page. Now, um, every page has its own function, right? So like if, if the point is to get them to see a video, keep it that simple. Send them to a page that's got the video embedded on it. If you want them to download something, send them to a page that's engineered for download, right? So it, it's a little hard for me to give a single answer to that, but every, everything you want people to experience and, and the, you know, the variety is important here, um, the page is going to have to match you know, whatever it is you're driving them towards. How about things like, so there's a great tendency in landing pages to kind of strip away a lot of, a lot of the site wide navigation and other distractions that you might get on regular web pages. I mean, do you, do you do that on your pages? Yeah. If, if you're talking about uh, like the promotional bit, the sales part, yes, that's a hundred percent true. Cause you really will, uh, you send, you send people to a page that's got your, your long form sales letter or your VSL on it. Um, you just simply don't want them to be able to be distracted at all. I'm, I'm a pretty strong believer in that, but on the content pieces where the entire point is to uh, engage them, entertain them, uh, keep them around, then, uh, no, send them to your regular blog or your website, uh, or your, your video channel. 
um, where they can get in there and stick around as long as they want to and keep reading more. <laughs> I think they did they, say something that something slightly disarming about just going to a regular web page that is obviously a regular web page. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it builds up a certain amount of trust. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people, well, maybe not a lot, but certainly many times over the years, I've heard consumers complain about, oh yeah, one of those where you click and you get this thing and you're like trapped on the page and can't go anywhere. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? Mm. Uh, and, and you know, you don't, you don't want to always be hitting people up with that stuff where they're going to, they're literally going to assume you're a, a fly by night scammer. Well, that's what Google will eventually assume as well. And they'll close down your account. They do. Yeah. They're, they're even, even now there's, uh, some filtering out of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Thin pages, they call it thin pages with no, no content. No value. Yeah. No value. Yeah. Do you monitor page load time? Yes. And actually that seems to be getting more and more. It's, it's always been important, but it seems like people's expectations and uh, attention spans getting shorter all the time. The gold standard for a while was uh, four seconds load time. Uh, and lately in the past year or so, it seems like even that has dropped some of that. And that is hard to do. Yeah, It's really hard to get pages to load in less than four seconds. Yeah. But um, colleague of mine, he's a Facebook agency professional, um, he did a bunch of uh, split testing around this over the last year, and he said that faster loading times for the landing pages affected his conversion rates more than anything else he could come up with to test in his Facebook ads. I guess there's two aspects of that, isn't there? I guess there's having a site that isn't bloated code-wise, which would slow down the load time, or having big images that you haven't, that you haven't edited down to a sensible size. Yeah. Um, I think there's also like a server issue as well of like, you know, if you're spending decent change on ads, then perhaps you don't want to be on a shared hosting. Perhaps you want to be on a dedicated hosting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll riff on that for a minute. So I actually come from an IT professional background and specifically I was the server administrator. So I, I took care of all this stuff. So the fact of the matter is, um, and it's not that you need the most expensive thing. That's not the point. But on 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 the low-end web hosting plans, they are usually called shared. Uh, what companies do is they use special software that actually permits them to squeeze an unreasonable amount of websites onto a single server. And they simply do it by throttling each site. So any one given site uh, just simply cannot have more than a tiny little sliver of uh, you know a CPU cycles or memory space or any of that stuff, irregardless of the disk space for the size of the site. Um, and then the, sometimes it'll be limited in other ways, like like literally the number of connections. So uh, you know maybe you can have ten or hundred connections at once, and and when you're doing things organically or have just a little bit of ads running, you'll never notice. But then you suddenly ramp up one day, you start spending $100 a day or $1,000 a day on ads and things are going haywire and you can't figure out what's wrong. Well, it's because when the 101st or the 1,001st visitor gets to the, your website, uh, that server is literally cutting them off, like no response. So they're, they're clicking the ad, it costs you money, and then the page literally does not load. So you, wanna, you want to be on a, especially if you're going to scale up, you want to be on a mid-tier hosting plan of some kind um, you know, where, where it's clear what you're buying, uh, is going to give you a lot of connections, uh, and, and, and faster loading time. And you're not competing with resources with another, you know, 1700 websites on the same, 
same server. Do you have any resources for people? So I've, like, I know people that use Pingdom to monitor site speed, but... Pingdom is a good one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, any other kind of recommendations like that for, for, for monitoring these things? Uh, no, not exactly. I mean, Pingdom actually is pretty much the best. Uh, but if you go and search for any, you just go to Google, search for website monitoring, uptime monitoring, performance monitoring. Um, there, there's hundreds at least of these uh, affordable ones. There's high end ones where, you know, they're um, going to give you special when, and, and most people do not need this, but there's special ones where they'll give you code to actually insert into your website that kind of talks back to the monitoring service to make sure every last thing is optimized. Um, and then there's others that just literally scan your page from the outside. Um, yep. And they, they'll let you know now, uh, now this is not a monitoring service, but as far as checking it yourself, uh, use the Google, it used to be called Google page speed. I think it might have a new name now. Is it, is mm. it Google, um, because Google okay. likes to change these things every yeah, Google changes the stuff way too much. It might be called Insights or something like that. Mm. But they've got um, a, a Google. It's, this is not part of Google Analytics. It's a separate tool, uh, and it is specifically for testing like the quality of your page, not meaning just the design and function, but the the load time and all that. Um, yep, and that that's a really good one. If, um, and Google, in particular, take account of that in quality score. I think do they. Yes, they do. They do. Yeah. It, it's called Page Speed Insights now. That's the yeah. correct name. Okay. Yeah, and then there's others. Uh, there's a tool called um, G Metrics, uh, I think, and uh, it'll give you a waterfall chart. So in other words, it'll it'll load your whole page and it'll it'll time not just the entire page load, but every single individual thing in that interaction. It'll and it'll show you where the bottlenecks are. And Pingdom, in fact, aside from the monitoring tool. Pingdom, I think it's, I think it's tools.pingdom.com. Um, they have a similar thing. It's a waterfall chart. You just put your URL in there, tell it to scan. It's going to load the whole page and analyze all of its parts. So, and yeah, that's, that's a really good idea to go through that and find the things that are causing delays. I think it is, it's just worth thinking about because otherwise you can put all of this effort into ads, landing pages and whatever. And if you're getting tripped up because the page is taking eight seconds to load, then... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also uh, yeah. quick and easy. There's a number of extensions for Chrome that'll load, like always be measuring the load time of whatever page you happen to be on. Uh, and that's a good, you know, real quick index of what's happening. Cool. Yeah. Um, anything else that we want to say about landing pages? I mean, I, I, I guess um, what my take on it is that there isn't like a single best landing page. And I think people have to, like you probably do have to test a lot of things. I mean, my my sort of thoughts generally are that like um, people tend not to consider the focal points of the page enough. Mm-hmm. So often, the fo- for me, the focal point should usually be the headline, and the headline should usually have a strong benefit, yeah. not you know, welcome to our website or <laughs> welcome to. October marketing enterprises or whatever. Um, And often the headline is too small. Like it should be, it should be noticeable. Like Mm -hmm. otherwise you find that your eye gets drawn elsewhere first or something that isn't actually that core. Um, 
Another tip that um, I got from a web designer a few years ago was if you just kind of like, if you just squint at the landing page, you'll find that all of the detail blurs out and you're left with viewing the areas of contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the areas of contrast might be, you know, where you've got strong backgrounds and things like that. Areas of contrast draw your attention. So if you've got a really strong background, that might even be drawing the reader's eye away from the headline, away from yes. away from the offer or whatever it is. I've sort of found anecdotally that video can work, but it doesn't always work. Like it's worth testing with and without the video. Like there seems to be this assumption that video is always going to work. Honestly, like if I was locked out of my house and I need and I needed a locksmith and they had a video on their landing page, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't stay for long enough. Um, yeah. So, so you know, don't don't just assume that it's going to work. Um. I think having unclear next steps is a common issue. That's what I was going to say. So on that same idea of squinting at your page, see where your eye is drawn. Um, the, you, whatever you do, you don't want a bunch of distractions and you don't want to ask people to do multiple things. The, the page, especially if it's a sales page, <clears throat> sign up page, reg- registration page, whatever it is, whatever the goal of that page is, uh, everything about the page, need, including the visuals need to be drawing the person to do that thing. So, you know, if, if it's click to register or fill out the form or, you know, click here or whatever, uh, that form or that button needs to be the significant visual element. You may repeat it more than once, but you certainly don't want to also have, you know, look at this thing, look at this article, read this, like my social media, check out this video. You're, you're, you're just, you're, you're paying people to get distracted if you're running paid traffic to a page like that. I think sometimes that the button shouldn't necessarily be the first thing that draws my eye because if I've just loaded the page, I might not yet be ready to split right. that form and I, yeah. I probably need to read the headline and read you know at least a paragraph of text yeah. before I'm ready to leave an inquiry mm-hmm. um, I tell you what one other thing that really really winds me up probably more than it should do it's like the red mist comes down when, when, when this happens <laughs> so so web designers I, I, I have a you know love hate relationship with uh, web designers Web designers are obsessed with using gray text, putting gray yes. text on a white background. Why on earth would you ever use gray text on a white background? So the maximum, you know, just thinking back to contrast, contrast also makes your text easier to read. Yes. So you want to have a sensible font, so yeah. a sensible sans serif font. So something like Badana is a you know, reasonable choice or trebuchet or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so ha- have it big enough to read. You know, if, if you cater to the people who are, who are slightly harder of sight, because they're normally the people who are slightly older, the people who have the most money, who are probably most likely to buy. If you cater yeah. to those people, then everyone else will still be able to understand. And don't use gray text. Like, you know, don't make the text harder to read than it needs to be. Like, use black text on a white background. And this is uh, this is inflicted emails as well, because I've, I've, over time you've begun, I'm sure you've seen it too, I've begun to see more emails that are coming with a, a slightly tan background and a slightly gray text. And yeah, that's all it's doing is making it harder to read. This has been uh, extensively tested by the people who produce VSLs. Like what kind of font, what kind of, you know, should I use color? Should I use gray? Should I make it fancy? Um, 
there is a time for fancy visuals, but not on the text. The text just needs to be as absolutely readable as it possibly can. And quite simply, that means pure black text on pure white background and big and a very clean font. You start using script, scripty fonts or fancy looking fonts and people immediately, uh, I mean, quite literally the reading speed goes down. So yep. think about that. You're, you're actually dragging people down and making your message harder to consume. Yep. It's just the opposite of what you want. Yeah, and it's a really simple fix. Um, and it's normally like if I was editing someone's website, it's usually the first thing that I would change. I would make the headlines bigger. I would make them um, a color that stands out often they're black or the same color yeah. as the text. Uh, I make the text easier to read, make sure it's on a white background. Um, simple changes. No. Um, this this isn't like Rob and Jonathan's opinion. This is black and white. Go and do this. Yeah, and a lot again, a lot of testing has been done by yeah. some of the biggest internet marketers out there on this exact topic. Yes. So, yeah, I got one final idea for landing pages. Um, presuming that you are running paid ads to them, make sure they're compliant. <laughs> uh, at, and for most of the ad networks, that specifically means um, your logo at the top, so you're recognizable as a business, not a not a scam. And then somewhere, and the footer is fine. Uh, you've got to have at least some minimized links to your privacy policy, your contact page, and preferably your contact info and disclaimers right there on the page. You can link away to that as well, a contact page, disclaimer page, um, but just spelling out uh, literally fine print at the bottom of the page, you know, re results not typical, um, that sort of thing. And then hopefully your, your contact address, email address, phone number, um, it legitimizes the page in the eyes of the network. And for those things, uh, now this is just the opposite of what we were just saying. You can have small font, gray text, uh, barely readable, but they got to be there. They got to be yep. findable at, the, at least at the bottom of the page. Yep, absolutely. That'll keep your landing pages from getting disapproved quickly <laughs> by the networks. Yeah, because at some point, most of the networks will either automatically or manually review your landing pages. Yes. And, yep. and, that, and they're just, look, I mean, they're, they're not reading anything. They're just black and white asking all these things in place. Yes. Yeah. And that's a good point. So uh, interestingly enough, that this kind of plays into what we were just saying about the squint test and right, making it easy for your visitor to, to get your message and get to the point. Uh, same for the reviewers. If they open your page and it's like all over the map and they can't tell what's being sold and they can't tell what you're supposed to do or what the point of the page is, they are going to have those guys are reviewing thousands of pages a day moving at top speed, if they don't get the point and it looks suspicious, they're just going to mark you as bad and you're done. Yeah, they're probably up late at night, drunk, drinking exactly. like <laughs> just, just trying to get through the day, you know. So, yeah. so have some, make, have some make, compassion for them. Exactly. Make it easy on them and easy on your customer too. Yep. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Maze Marketing Podcast, you can also sign up for a free set of Maze Building Resources called Maze Mastery Essentials. In Maze Mastery Essentials, you get access to our Google Ads Audit Guide, our email and Facebook ad templates, and a video series walking you through remarketing setup on Google and Facebook. To get free access, just head to mazemastery.com.